people don't go to school or otherwise go anywhere to be a product manager. So usually you come some from somewhere. So like I went to business school, so then I became a product manager. So I may know a little bit more about things like building a strategy and less about things like Scrum. Or, you know, I'm an engineer. And so, and then I got into product because maybe I wanted to decide what we did, <laughs> what, what we should do and not just do it. And also I, I like talking to customers, even though I'm an engineer. And so, so I know everything about Scrum and engineering and I'll work really well with the engineers, but I've got to learn stuff like how to pull things out of customers or maybe strategy for that matter of communication. Hi, welcome to the Practical Product Podcast. I'm here today with Jason Cohen, and we're going to be talking about some awesome things about the challenges of juggling many different responsibilities as a product manager and what to do when you're wearing too many hats. For those of you who don't know Jason Cohen, he's the founder and currently CTO of Unicorn WP Engine, which has over 170,000 customers and 1,200 employees. He was previously also the founder of the bootstrap company SmartBear, which you may know because of his blog with the same name. He sold it in 2008 and was also unicorn by 2021. He also co-founded IT Watchdogs and was an original mentor and angel investor with the Capital Factory in Austin, Texas since 2009. And he's written about startups for 15 years, which is how I actually found the blog post that led to our conversation today at blog.asmartbear.com. And he puts his longer form ones specifically at longform.asmartbear.com. And not surprisingly, his Twitter handle is also a smart bear. So Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jason has this awesome article we'll link to in the show notes, which is all about what a great product manager actually is. And it talks about how it can be such an overwhelming job. You can often be expected to be more things to more people than any one person can truly master or have time to do. Even if you are good at all those things, there's not nearly enough hours in the day or the week to do all of them. Today's discussion is going to focus on the consequences of this post and what to do about it. But a quick summary is there are four key areas of responsibility that can fall under product managers that Jason outlines. One is being a strategist. The second is being a customer whisperer. The third is being a scrum product owner. And then the fourth is being orchestrator. And the key for those is that as Jason puts it, a quote, great PM is usually excellent in one of those areas, good in at least one other, and doesn't have time for the other two. So today we're going to be diving in kind of to that complex paradox and how to navigate it. Jason, was there anything kind of to summarize, kind of setting the table that you would want to add to that? Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's disheartening to look at advice to product managers online. <laughs> you know, it starts with that great, I mean, the articles are great and they're, and they're kind of inspiring at first, like the good, good product manager, bad product manager that everyone I think has read from years and years ago, but also just Twitter threads of just like, great PMs are the CEOs of their product and great PMs are experts in their field and great PMs know how to draw the very best out of customers and the secret things even they don't know. And the, and the best PMs work across uh, the whole department and other departments inside the company. And they're also really good at, at communicating and managing stuff. It just, it just goes on and on and basically lists everything that anyone ever does in life. And that's what a product manager has to do. And at first it's like, yeah, we have a complex job and it's cool. And then you start realizing, wait, I can't do all those things. Like, I can't be good at all those things, first of all, or at least not that, not, not super good. And who has time to do every one of those things? It's like, it's, that's silly. Like, even if you were excellent at 18 things, well, you can't do 18 things. <laughs> you can't be 18 roles at the same time. No, you can't. So like the whole thing, 
it to me actually is disheartening. And so that's actually the impetus of writing this was like, okay, it sounds good, but it's bullshit. And so what should it be instead? And so that's when I get to, what I've noticed is that there's different, I don't know if it's personalities, maybe it is, who knows? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to try to psychoanalyze it, but whether it's skill areas or what people gravitate to, maybe it's, it, maybe it's something with personality, maybe it's where they learned, or maybe it's where they came from. Like people don't go to school or otherwise go anywhere to be a product manager. So usually you come some from somewhere. So like I went to business school, so then I became a product manager. So I may know a little bit more about things like building a strategy and less about things like Scrum. Or, you know, I'm an engineer. And so, and then I got into product because maybe I wanted to decide what we did, <laughs> what, what we should do and not just do it. And also I, I like talking to customers, even though I'm an engineer. And so, so I know everything about Scrum and engineering and, and I'll work really well with the engineers, but I've got to learn stuff like how to talk, how to pull things out of customers or maybe strategy for that matter, communication. So there's, there, I think people come from somewhere. So whether it's, well, they came from somewhere, so they have a specialization, which makes sense, or it's just their personality. I love to talk to customers, so I do, or I hate to talk to customers, so I like just hiding with the engineers, you know, so maybe it's personality. But what I find is these areas you just mentioned, so strategy, customer research, Scrum, or whatever, whatever you do with engineers, and the coordination and communication in these areas. Again, it's not an ironclad law, but... It seems to me that people tend to gravitate towards one being their area of expertise, and maybe they're pretty good at another one. And so to me, the question was, so what do we do in the real world with real human beings that are more like that, rather than saying everyone has to be good at everything, which is which is actually not good advice. Totally, totally. You're absolutely right. I've I've seen it a lot of different ways. And I think one of, one of the things that always comes up in conversation when I'm talking with other product managers is that idea that like, an Airbnb PM and a Google PM are two extremely different people, even though they have the exact same job title. Like at Airbnb, you better be an excellent designer. And you, you know, you're thinking, thinking a lot about the user experience. And at Google, if you're not technical, you're a second class citizen. Like, like where you learned your, your product work and like who they self-select for and reward in their product managers will influence it. And also obviously your background. Like I was an electrical engineer. I like wouldn't call myself super technical, but I can carry on a conversation a lot better than someone who only ever ever has a business background. So I've gravitated sometimes more towards relationships with engineers who like to explain stuff because I can grok it if I have it. And so it is interesting to see how that your background and how you learned product and who you learned product from has as much an impact on which of those four resonates with you as anything else. It, it could be, yeah. But even then, in Airbnb, like I get you about design because they know they know design really matters in their business. So that makes it, plus it's the culture, so it just makes sense. On the other hand, if you make the microservice that's used for ratings and reviews, and I just made that up because I don't know if I, mean, I just assume that exists, you know. <laughs> but let's just suppose, you know, are you a designer or are you actually like an architect? I, I don't know, but it's possible that you're not a designer, and so or you know, a UI designer that is. So even within a company, there's probably room for lots of different things because you do different things. Yeah. So actually, that's that, that's a great point. Kind of brings up kind of the next question I want to ask is like, since there are these four responsibilities, and I've certainly seen myself, you can only really do too well, regardless of if you've mastered or, or are decent at all four, you really only have time to do two really well. The other ones kind of have to be back burner at best. Do you think there are two that are more important than others for a product manager? Or can a great PM really just kind of choose any two out of a hat. And as long as they are really good at those, they can be an effect, you know, really good PM. Well, definitely not choosing out of a hat. 
I think what you want to do is, and this is true of any anything in life, but in particular this, which is there's things you love, there's things that you're good at, there's things that the company needs to be done. To the extent that you can sit in the center of that in life, <laughs> it's good. And to the extent you only have two out of the three, it can feel like that's pretty good, but it really turns out it's not. So for example, if you love it and you're good at it, then you also often get in the flow. That's beautiful, right? You, oh yeah, you know, you, you, you lose track of time and space and you know, 11 hours later you've got to pee and you know, okay. So that's really good, obviously. But if the company doesn't need that work done, then it's actually not, not good at all, right? It's good for you personally, maybe, I guess, temporarily, but like, it's clearly wrong. If you love it and the company needs it done, that's cool. But if you're not good at it, you're actually doing the company a disservice because if the whole point is we need it done and you're not good at it, even if you like it, but if it's, it needs to be done and, and, and you're not good at it, like this is a bad thing. Like you're, you're, you're penalizing the organization. That's not good. Or similarly, if, if, if you're good at it, and this is, this is a trap that a lot of us get into, you're good at it and the company needs it done, terrific, but you don't like it. And that is a trap we a lot of us fall into because it's like both of those are intellectual things. I am good at it. That's a fair, let's just pretend that's an objective statement. Close enough. Uh, company needs it done, right? Because it's in the strategy or I don't know, whatever the reason is. But if you don't like it, then you burn out, <laughs> you know? And that's just not, that's not okay. And then like, even though the liking part is emotional and all this kind of stuff, I know, but it, it's important. <laughs> now, it's of course ideal to say you'll live in the center all the time. That's obviously, you know, it's a, it's an aspirational thing. But the point is like, the closer you're orbiting that center most of the time, like that's good. And, and, and in any direction for those reasons, and you know, it, it looks different, but in any direction, it's not good if, you, if you're not in there. So with that in mind, you can take that to this, this notion of like, all right, if there's strategy and customer research and working with engineers and the coordination communication, you know, management, you can use that and say, okay, wh what do I, what do I like? What does the company need? <laughs> What am I naturally good at or want to learn and apply it to there? So like even at WP Engine, we have product managers who are like, man, I love just hanging out with the engineers and inventing cool shit. Just tell me what would be useful and let us invent it. Like I really, I don't even, I'm such an introvert, which is funny for a product manager, you would think, right? I'm such an introvert that I don't want to sit there and, and talk to customers and sift through all that. I'm very happy if someone else does that work and tells me, hey man, a, B, and C would be very valuable. And just let me invent. With the, let me and the engineers go and invent the best possible thing, the least time, you know, whatever, blah, blah, all that stuff. Just let me do that and, and let me go. So that's a person where the love and the, and the skill is over in the execution side and so forth. And so that's great. And so, of course, well, someone needs to talk to the customer. So, you know, part of the answer <laughs> yes. to this, right, is, well, if one person can't do it all, all of it needs to be done. So that means you need a team and the team has to be more or less puzzle pieces. Again, this world is not perfect or anything, but like more or less, the team needs to cover all these things so that as a team, we are excellent in, in everything, you know, because that huge list is correct as a team, just not, not correct for one person to shoulder it on their own. So, but if you're being, uh, so anyway, I would use that love, skill, and need as a guide to say, well, which of these makes sense for me or the, you know, and or the, where I'm at. So, so it's not a shot in the dark. But then, yes, I would say, and again, this is generally true in life. It's good to, it's good to be really excellent in something, you know, in, instead of uh, the generalist. Now, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a generalist, just don't get me wrong, but, but often 
being extremely good at, at, at a thing is more valuable and more impactful. And so often that is a good, I mean, again, there's no, no absolutes here, but often that's a, that's a good strategy for a career anyway. Yes, that's a very good point. Having that one thing that I think you're really good at and that they recognize that you're good at, I think is really important because that way you don't get miscast. So I guess with 1200 employees at WP Engine, how do you think about kind of handling that kind of casting to make sure that those puzzle pieces do reasonably fit together? With the, like, no kidding with this framework we're talking about, this is what I use. Okay. And so oh, that's like, awesome. Yeah. I mean, this, this is real. <laughs> nice. <laughs> blog post. This is what we actually do. Uh, we have about 45 teams at, at WP Engine. So there's a lot of, so even some of the other things in the article, like, oh, hey, some of these roles, these are roles, they're not titles. So in other words, there are some people with titles that might fill some of these roles that where the title doesn't say product. So like program management, project management often fills a role of the coordination and communication aspects of, of you know, getting teams to work together. In a, in a real in a small company, you may not need that at all because there's just three people in the whole company, and we don't need anybody with a clipboard. It's fine, so that's cool. But then, if you have forty five teams and and just product engineering, I mean, when I say that, you know, and and they need to coordinate with all sales and marketing and PMK and so forth. Okay, well then, well then, the good part, one of the good things about scale is you can do so much, and you know, when you roll out a product, we can roll it out to one hundred seventy thousand customers at once. That's incredibly powerful. But the bad news is. Of course, a lot of people requires a lot of coordination and communication and planning. And pro and so uh, for people that just like to get stuff done, that can be annoying. Like, oh, we've got to do all these things and meetings and projects. But that's the other side of like, well, if you want to sell something to hundreds of thousands of people at the same time, there's it's it, there's a trade-off. <laughs> One of the trade-offs oh, is yeah. that, you know? And so like, once again, like the, maybe the company doesn't need that. If it's small, it doesn't need it. It's like, oh, good. <laughs> Hooray, <laughs> you know? But if it does, then it does. And so it could be program management, project management on that. Scrum product owners can often be engineering managers or a lead engineer or just someone who wants to, you know, try their hand at that. Or sometimes it rotates through people, which is kind of interesting. Scrum masters often rotate too as a role. So that can be really interesting. Customer research, like we have a whole customer research team, a UX research team specializing in that. But usually, you know, in a smaller company, of course, you're not going to specialize that. But there's usually somebody who likes to do that and collect the stuff out of Dovetail or whatever and, you know, try to make sense of it and so forth. And strategy is probably the thing that gets neglected the most. I think at a small startup, it's like, I don't know, our strategy is don't die. Or we don't know because it, we're learning so much and changing so much, we don't have time for that. And they may be right. I think that's an interesting debate whether whether or not that's correct i think i can see both sides of that as you get bigger it's not okay because <laughs> once again like with lots of people you've got if you're just everyone's running in different directions that's clearly not not useful and whereas if people are more or less rowing in the same direction then again your scale should be used to your advantage if that's the case because look at all these human beings and and dollars and things that you can put to use in one direction that should be an advantage but without a strategy, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> Instead, they run everywhere and, and, and scale becomes like an albatross and a problem only without the, without the other side of the trade-off, which should be like, oh man, we can do all of this so quickly or in, in such volume or whatever it is that, that, that you're doing. So strategy is often the thing that's worst and neglected. And even if there is a so-called strategy in a document, like, is it a good one? Is it clear? Does anyone use it? Is it right? 
Is it does it grapple with the real challenges that the company has? Really grapple with the scariest, most important things, and then say, "Here's and, and here's our you know best ideas for broadly speaking, what to do." that people can then slot actual work in, you know, does that really exist? And, and, you know, almost always the answer is no. And so I think, I feel like that one's the one that probably has the least uh, quality. Now, of course, it's easy to pick some companies that do have a good strategy. So, okay, fine. Airbnb is kind of fam- famously very good at that. You could argue Tesla is very good, you know, just a couple of sentences and yet that was the correct strategy. Right. Um, and, so, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, like, so, so you can, you can find positive examples, but man, in real life, if I say like, all right, pull it up, pull up the strategy document. Like, does anyone even know where it is? Because if if not, like, then you don't have one, even if it's written somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I remember in some of my early days as like a first PM at a startup, it's like, we knew we were working on that sprint. We knew it was coming the sprint after that. And then like, by the end of the quarter, it was so fuzzy and the fog of war was so gray that yeah. it was really impossible to kind of project what we were going to do because frankly being nimble in the market was almost more important but at the same time it was also very like jarring because you you could think you're doing one thing and end up doing something completely different because wow thing you know just things changed and you know we were still on our quest for product market fit and yeah. you know i think that adds an extra degree of difficulty because like getting to the other side is is you know a series of steps not a single single moment of a epiphany so I think, you know, I think early on, probably it's wrong to simply not have a strategy, but it would also be wrong to say, oh, we're going to run a whole process and, you know, spend months and months like that would also be wrong because we don't know anything. There's no inputs to this process. So what's supposed to happen now? However, sort of in the in the spirit of, well, so what are we doing? Well, we're trying to learn and figure it out. That's what we're doing. Okay. So what are we learning? Because if we're just jarring and moving around, um, that's okay. That may be correct. But what are we learning in the process? So it's like a simple version is like hypotheses. We'll just write down what, what hypotheses we, ha- we have right now. Just in like one sentence and in English, there's nothing. I mean, it's literally just bullet points in a doc. There's nothing, there's nothing fancy or formal about it at all. It's just, look, we think people um, will switch from, from whatever to us because we'll have this feature, which we think is special. We think um, the number one reason why people cancel is X, and so we're doing Y. And, you know, these kind of very simple hypotheses. Then you do stuff, and it could take one sprint or a quarter or whatever it takes, right? And you just keep looking, like, is is it, are we moving the needle? Is it changing? Were we wrong? And and, and if we're wrong, can we scratch up? Th- then we still learn something we can write down. People don't care that much about X after all. That's a learning. We should record that somewhere, you know, and that, that you know. And then a- as that progresses, you actually... Ha- you actually, not only are you, are you correctly trying to seek the truth, which is, is what you should be doing, right? But also you're building out this corpus of facts or convictions or things that you've learned, which eventually when, when there is product market fit, let's hope. And, and so, so it could be years later, but when it's time to have like a real strategy that we actually are, are more certain of, it's time to like, I don't know, maybe now it's time to raise money and, and, and really do something. Oh yeah. Raise money. Do what? Like that was the time to have a strategy, right? To do what? Okay, Cool. We're just, it's starting, the company's starting to grow fast all of a sudden and forget raising money. And so it's like, oh, well, if we're hiring quickly and like if we're growing fast, then we need to know, even, even if it's just six months ahead, it doesn't have to be like a 10 year plan or anything, but like we need to know at least six months ahead what we need because we need to start hiring those people right now. So like we need some kind of notion, not of every feature and when it's going to be released, not that, but a strategy, which means like a, a general direction and what are our main challenges and, you know, like the directional things that the teams are 
are of course still iterating and trying to figure out how to solve. But like, so, but you'll have created this corpus of facts that can go into that simple strategy process. Oh, we learned these 20 things in the last year, right? And, and so it's like, ooh, good, good, good. And now we have a little bit of customer data to throw on top of that, like cancellation data and, and I don't know, whatever, for surveys, whatever you have, right? Qualitative things. And, and now we have a corpus. Still, the strategy is probably shaky because we're young. And so, okay, yeah, fair enough. But like, at least we have some stuff to use. And, and so when we, when we make one, and again, this could be half a page. I mean, again, it doesn't have to be crazy. But when we make one, so everyone can see it and, and try to act according, you know, act aligned to it. It's based on something <laughs> that we at least believe with conviction, if not data. And that feels good. It feels like, oh, we, we took all the facts and this seems like a pretty reasonable approach. And look, we may change our mind in one week because we're a startup. So, but, but in the meantime, we can align around this and so our next five hires can be around whatever helps this happen. And, you know, maybe that means we need a specialist. Like, but you might realize like, oh, if we have to do this, the second thing, oh, like we really need to have great design because our design's not good and, and people are killing us over. And that's an, that's an observation, let's say. Oh, and we don't have a great designer. Oh, well, there you go. That's like, maybe that's the next big hire that everyone in the company should try to help find a great designer because that's, that's the most important thing right now. That's the kind of thing as a simple strategy could say, right? And so anyway, so, so like, I, I do think, you know, you got to right size the process for the, the need, right? And, and, but to just not have it or not do that at all is like, well, then that's not quite right. I think, I think some thought there is correct. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, look, one of the biggest mistakes I see a, a lot of, a lot of newer PMs make is they, in like their product spec process, they spend all their time on the what and, and, and the how, and they spend very little, little time on the why. And so that means kind of the bookends of what you're talking about, the strategy of like, first of all, why did we choose this? Like, what is the justification and data we have for it? And then like you get to the end of it and you bookend that with like, how do we know if this worked or not? And like both sides, those are really important. The why is often much more motivating for the people you work with. And it forces you to define at least a micro strategy for that, that project. And then afterwards, when you go back and measure it, like that is how you tune your ability to tell whether you're building the right things or what part did we not get right? We should go back and make that like 20% change or 10% change that then allows you, like you said, to potentially go back and look at like your last dozen projects and say, which of the dozen projects moved the needle, which ones were kind of meh and maybe need a little more attention and which ones were flops. And we need to learn from that as well. But I think that I guess in my experience, what I've seen with, with people I've coached in my own work is like those individual projects you do should have their own piece of strategy in them. And then that can, like you said, help, help inform a bigger strategy you may build over time as you see what worked and didn't be compared to your initial hypotheses. Yeah, for sure. Also, if you think of it that way of like, here's the hypothesis or here's what we think we need to accomplish broadly, like great user experience would be an example or yeah, some technology or something like that. It also is a way to ensure that the scrum teams are autonomous and self-managed and aren't being micromanaged and not being told from, from without, oh, you have to do this feature, you know, something like that. Cause that, 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 just, that, that, you know, then it's not, um, then it's not a self-managed, uh, self-directed team. But self-managed doesn't mean like running off in a random direction either. Like it, it has to be, <laughs> of right? course not. especially once there's more than one team, then it's really bad if they're not, you know. So on the one hand, if you're dependent, like literally I can't do this until they do it, then obviously that's terrible because everybody slows down and it sucks and you have meetings and like, oh my God, it's the worst. 
So you don't want dependencies, but you do want to be running in the same direction. Like, so what's the, how is this whole org company going to win? That's what a strategy is. What, how, how are we going to win? And so to answer that, we'll have to grapple, we'll have to have as much data and information as, you know, conviction as we can, like what is going on. <laughs> we'll need to decide, like, here's our central challenge or our main thing we have to overcome or do. And then like, what are like the, you know, depending on the size of the company, maybe one to five major things we need to accomplish next. Again, not features, but like, you know, accomplishments for that. So like, if it's, oh, the space is super busy, so we have to differentiate. So um, we have to have differentiating features, or, or so, and, but we only have time right now to just try to catch up. So that might be our central challenge. We, we, we have to differentiate, yet we only, we feel like all we're doing is trying to catch up. That's our problem right now, our, our strategic problem. And if we don't change this, we'll never win because we'll just be undifferentiated and the 103rd, you know, whatever tool it is. So that's the challenge in this hypothetical. And so what are you going to do? Well, obviously, it's not obvious. If it were, you would need to write down. So like this company would have to figure out, okay, here's what we're going to do. It turns out if we focus on just this segment of the market, which is growing, but if we focus on this particular one, whichever one it is that they figured out, you know, then we actually aren't that behind in the basic things. And so we can spend more of our time on differentiation. So we're going to focus only on this persona or what, you know, this segment of the market. And we're going to do just enough on in area A. So that's pillar A is, is do this. And pillar B is like some kind of differentiated thing, whatever, that we think those people actually want and it's missing. That's what we got to do. But it's not individual features, right? It's like, okay, then that, that, and now if you have even one team, that's really useful because now they're like, all right, that's what we're iterating for. You know, that's what we're doing against this idea. But if there's like three teams, it's like, good. How do you divvy up the work required to do that? Oh, well, the teams will configure that out. I mean, it's not easy, but like, they're like, okay, guys, like between all of us, we're going to, we're going to try to accomplish these three broad things or two broad things. So, and we have our persona narrow, hooray, good for us. So like, oh, this team could this, that, I don't know. They work out what they're actually going to try to do. And like you said, of course, sprint by sprint, you're just going to iterate and test and you'll be wrong all the time. And like, of course that will happen. But now we know like what we're trying to accomplish in the long run. And it might even, it still could be half a page. <laughs> you know, like it, doesn't have, it can be long. Maybe that's, you know, it's good if you have a lot of information. It, you know, it helps people understand what's happening, but it doesn't have to be long to be aligning, <laughs> you know? Correct. Is your product team delivering the way you need them to? Are you shipping great product improvements at the frequency and quality you hoped? Becoming a great product manager does not happen by accident. It takes a lot of learning along with trial and error. And when you have product managers reporting to you, they need your guidance, even as the demands of running your company only grow. Unfortunately, things like coaching and teaching don't tend to fit on a founder or C-level executive's busy schedule like yours even if you know your team members need it. Fortunately, I've been a founder and an early stage product leader for over 12 years. During that time, I've mentored and coached dozens of product managers. I can fill in the gaps you wish you had time for and help diagnose and fix the most common problems that plague underperforming product managers and teams. If you wanna see if I can help you and your product team's challenges, Go to BeCustomerDriven.com and sign up for a free call to discuss your needs and how I can help you. Again, that's BeCustomerDriven.com. So, so thinking about like for, for people listening to this who are thinking about their careers, how should somebody think about screening for a job that they may want to do 
based on like if they have a general idea of what they think their two strong areas are in the one to four, like how should how should people think about their careers so that they so that they go in and they're the right puzzle piece for the right role? Since I don't know that most companies probably have adopted your your, right, your no. framework. So what like <laughs> no. what should they like how should a PM think about their career to maybe maybe bring better alignment? Because like you said, you know, it's almost like Ikigai, like you're trying to find where like the thing you love, the thing you're good at, and the thing the company needs are all the same. How should someone who's like interviewing or looking for a new job think about making sure that they get closer to that? Like, what could they maybe do? So, and 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 also in the job description, it probably won't say. <laughs> yeah, yeah unfortunately. The job description probably has a hundred bullets of stuff. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> must be great at all four. Um, exactly. Do them all the time, perfectly. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and on the other hand, also to be fair, what, what are what does it look like in the first paragraph of people's resumes? A strategic, yes. innovative thinker who aligns people in also you know, yeah. <laughs> everything also. It's like, okay. Yeah, look, everybody plays the game. All of it. And <laughs> that can't be right. we're all wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, you have to live in the world and there it is. So, so one thing you could do, it's, it sounds scary, but it helps achieve this is don't have that paragraph that has all the crap. Focus on the thing. Just say like, I am the best person I know at customer research. I do nothing but read books about it and call people and do stuff. And I, you know, I have my own like, I don't know, frameworks or philosophies that I like to use, which themselves change because I'm always learning, blah, 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 blah. So like everything about how you're the customer research person. Now, if you apply for the job and that's the resume and they're like, we don't care about that. We make, uh, I don't know, something where they don't care about that. Okay, you won't get the job, but also you didn't want that job because they do not value you. So why would you want to be somewhere they don't that where you're not valued? <laughs> like that's just a bad fit. And no one's wrong. The company's not wrong. It's just a different culture and you're not and that it's just not a good fit, right? So if you're specific on your resume, you can be effusive and you know, in fact you should be, right? You should be like saying it. But if you're specific, already sometimes the company will start filtering it out or vice versa. Oh my gosh, that's what we needed. It's maybe, you know, it's, it, if there's a place where they really need that. Then you'll stand out and it's like, oh, this is what we need. Even if they don't have to use this framework, obviously, but like if they just are like, yeah, we're not so good at that. This would be a great addition to our team because we're not so good at it. You don't need a framework to maybe figure that out. Then they'll be more interested in talking to you. So just you being specific, obviously a lot of people will just throw the resume in and, and, and turn the crank, obviously, right? But some people will be extra interested and some people will filter you out. So that's good. That's progress. <laughs> you know. And then during the interview process, it's up to you also to figure out if this is the right company for you. And again, this is true of any job. You want to know if, if this is a good culture fit for you, just besides all this stuff we're talking about, right? Um, and so forth. Like there's there's always things you're trying to figure out about them. So this is one of them. So so again, in the interview, you can say like, look, I, I have a specialty in, in both what I'm good at and what I like in customer research. So like that's where I'm happiest. And where I'm least happy is when I hold the clipboard and, and tick the boxes and uh, you know, have every all, heard the cats? That's where I'm least happy. Am, am I going to fit here? Like, like is that what you need? And 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 maybe being a little less direct would be smart because it'd be easy for them to say yes. Even you know, just like so. So it, it's possible that it's possible that that's a good idea to just be direct like that. It's also possible you want to ask more open-ended questions. Where do you see some of the, you know, what do you value in your product managers or what kind of holes in the product organization are you trying to fill? And let them say, and if they happen to say your thing, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty good because they haven't just, they haven't just agreed with what you just said, right? So that might be another approach. But so regardless of your approach, you've got to interview them enough 
and not just on this topic, on other topics as well. And this is just so, but you can be conscientious and be like, oh, okay, I've definitely got a, I need to interview them on this question of, of do they need what I have? <laughs> are they going to value and, and are they going to love that I love doing this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, th- that's a great point. I think people sometimes underrate how much you're interviewing them as as much as they're interviewing you and certainly putting yourself out there. Like I know at this point for me, it's like I need a tech lead. Like I need that technical partner who can who will take some of the product scrum side of those four categories off or just like I can do project management, but like that's definitely very far away from my I love to do this category. Like I'll do it if it's needed, but I, I, I don't enjoy it at all. So I've certainly seen that seen that myself. But I think sometimes people get scared, like disqualifying themselves from a role rather than letting the company do it. So I, I, it's a great point to specifically state what you're great at and try and emphasize that and see if that's what they need. Or even better, like you said, ask them, what do you value in product managers to see what they're actually thinking about? Yeah. So flipping the script on that, like thinking about hiring managers now, and certainly there's been a lot of hiring at WP Engine over the years. How should a product leader who's going to be hiring some PMs think about building their product teams? And in particular, you know, when they're thinking about hiring a product manager, how, how should they account for the, the, the four roles? Like, I'm curious if at WP Engine, like it's a big part of the job descriptions to think about this. I mean, certainly the same advice, which is to be specific of what you're looking for. Because if you're really looking for that, then say it so that, you, you know, same, so same thing in terms of, Will people self-select in or out? Because again, you'll also get just massive, you know, just mass applications. Okay, fine. But like to the extent that it it, it it tunes it a little bit for and against, that's good. Obviously, again, the interview process, but you've got to first know what you're trying to design. So I put in the in the article that you should think of yourself as the organization designer. You're, you're creating and designing. So with design, I like the word design because it's intentional, but there's this idea of like constraints you know, like you're surely constrained by budget and, you know, there's people here already and they, they have attributes. And so that constrains what you need to do next. So like, I like the idea of design of like, I'm trying to make something, but there's constraints and and, and things that I have to design around, you know, otherwise it's just uh, art or whatever it is when there's no constraints, <laughs> right? And so yeah. I like the word design for that. You're designing org. So you need to have a philosophy or yeah, well, a philosophy, a mindset, a framework, point of view on what is it that we need what are, you know, what do we need to be doing? Where are our gaps? And again, that is, that is certainly not reflecting like, oh, this person in my org has a gap. Like, that's not what we're saying. We're saying together, we're, we, our overlapping skill sets do not include X and we need X. <laughs> now, maybe your skill sets don't include X and you don't need X. Okay, fine. Then so what? It's not a gap then. <laughs> so, you know, so of the things you actually need, you know, where are you struggling or where, where's the gap? It could be in stuff like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a skill set either. So for example, it could be in seniority. So it could be, oh, we have three pretty junior PMs and they're all they're all super smart. They're learning super fast. But if all three are junior and no one's around to help, you know, and mentor and, and you know, be on the phone with them on a customer and show them how to, if no one's doing that, it's, it actually is not working. And so we need someone. But then if you're hiring that, you're not just hiring a senior PM. That's incorrect. You're hiring a senior PM who loves to mentor. Totally different concept. So someone who has the experience that their that their mentorship comes from somewhere, yeah, but also that they love it. 
they're like, oh man, my favorite thing is like someone who's smart, but just hasn't done it before. And I get to help them and show them the stuff. And then I watch them fly away and be amazing. I'm like, oh my God, you're, you, you killed it. That's, I love that. You know, that's the person that you're looking for them, not just a manager or, or a senior person that other people, you know, they will just magically, they won't magically help other people. Not everyone wants to be a mentor or likes it, but if they love it and they're good at it, then that's your missing piece, not just the title. So you see what I mean? And so that's, I guess that's a skill set. Mentorship is, I guess, that. But you see what I mean? Like uh, there's, there's, there's expertise areas, functional areas, but there's also stuff like that. So what are these gaps that, you know, that they're having? And, and I've got to, I've got to hire for that. And then the same thing, you could be direct, but it's too easy to say, do you like mentoring people? Because we need that. And then the person's like, yes, <laughs> you know, right? Like, so the direct approach probably, probably doesn't work. You'll have to be a little more indirect. And this is sort of like, when you talk to customers and you know you're you don't ask hey if we built feature x would you like it because they offer like i don't know sure yeah i don't know like we all know that's not a good question <laughs> you got to ask about them and then suss it out so like maybe interviewing a person's like that <laughs> absolutely now, that's a very good point thinking about like each piece kind of building on what you already have and where you're going if i'm a if i'm a pm listening to this and i realize i'm spread way too thin because i'm trying to do all four things what what should i do yeah. So obviously it, um, petitioning for help in whatever the areas are is, is useful, but you know, of course you don't control that ultimately. The more you can justify that with things like, Hey, there's, there's, there's this framework and it doesn't have to be mine. In fact, I, li I, I link to other ones in the article, right? Like pick whichever one you like, you know, but, but for, for, to take some, you know, uh, social proof or, or like external authority as it were and say, see, see, we, you know, we need these two things, you know, that, that can be helpful in, in, in making your case. Now, since you don't control that and anyway, even if they said, okay, that whoever is going to be hired won't be here for a long time. So, and up to speed. So then I think just like we do, we meaning product managers do when we do capacity planning for our teams, of course, we always have more ideas than time. So we prioritize and we try to say no to as much as possible. And that's really hard, but that's what we should do. And we all know it, <laughs> whether we're good at it or not, we all agree that we should do that. <laughs> you know, that is correct. So this is exactly the same. It's a capacity problem. You do not have the capacity to do everything. So you have to pick what's most important. How do you know what's important? Well, it's something of a judgment call, right? But if you think of it that way and just like, okay. And in fact, you could take some of these lists of like all the things a product manager does. Like I, I put a list in there again, there's lots of yeah. lists online. You could, you could <laughs> use that and actually put that in the spreadsheet and order it's kind of try to stack rank it again. This is your best effort. So like, it's fine, but try to literally dragging them around and stack rank. Like what does the organization need? The teams need the product need today. Like it, this could be all different in, in, in six months because we evolved. Okay, fine. But like right now, <laughs> you know, and you, and, and if you stack rank it at least roughly, then it's like, okay, so there's the top things that you can actually do. And I don't know how many they are. You'll have to ju you know, judge for yourself, right? But like a few, not a lot. And then all the rest, you either is best effort or absolutely no. <laughs> yeah. And the stuff at the bottom is definitely absolutely no. And stuff in the middle, you'll just have to, again, you're, you have to use your judgment a bit, but like more or less. So here's what else you can do after that though. Then you could have your own document that says, okay, these are all the things that would be, you know, ideal that we would do. As you can see, there's 18 things and I'm one person. So like, obviously we're not. So I just want everyone to know these half, we're not doing it. I'm not doing it as an organization. We're not, we're just not going to do it. 
Not going to happen. If you ask me for blah, 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 I'm going to say, that's not one of the things we're doing. (laughs) So let's say strategies on the list. And let's say in, in your example, where it's like, look, we're hunting for product market fit. So I don't have time for that. It probably doesn't even make sense. So anyone who says strategy, I'm going to say, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> right? We're just, we're not doing that, you know? And, and so great, good so, as an example. So, um, so then you would have that. And so anytime it came up, you would be able to refer, you send a link to this Google doc, whatever it is and say, oh yeah, that's not what the things we're doing, but here was what we are doing. And you send me a link to your document where you said, we're doing these four things. We're doing best effort on these three things. And we're not doing these 12 things. <laughs> And, and again, you stole these things out of a list from a blog post. Maybe you wordsmithed it for yourself and for your company sure. a little bit. But like you, just stole it. like you didn't have to invent these things yeah. anyway. And, and, and But then you say, see, this is what... Because when you tell someone no, you want them to know you were really thoughtful about it. And the reason it's no is because you're saying yes to these other things. So to have a document, you can just send them that says that, <laughs> you know, so they can see, oh, the reason it's no is because I'm doing these other things instead. That's the answer, right? And then And then... Let's say the powers that be don't like that. No, but we got to do the thing you're saying no to. Okay, but now we can have a conversation about, well, then what things should I, in fact, if I pull that up, what things am I pulling down? You know, the usual prioritization discussions you have. But now you have a doc you can use to have that conversation instead of just arguing about who has time for what. Now you have a thing you can use, you know, and maybe they're right. Maybe something else is more important. Okay, you know, maybe that's okay. As long as you're not overloaded, like maybe that's fine. Maybe they're wrong and you can have a discu- an intelligent discussion now because you've made an intelligent document to begin with to, to bring to that discussion. Maybe. How would you handle though the stuff that you kind of have mm-hmm. to do though? Like, I mean, I think like someone has to be the scrum kind of project owner, project manager. Like someone has to do that job. No, work not necessarily. Done, right? So like, like, like if you don't have time, to- like, first of all, if you've decided to do scrum, then you've decided there has to be a product owner as an organization. Okay. So if the product manager if the product manager is the only person who can and should do it, then then that goes in the top of your list. That's one of the things that's taking up a slot and you don't have that many slots, right? And so it's one of them. And and like, so if someone else is like, wait, what about this thing down here? You're like, I'm busy with this. And they're like, couldn't someone else be the product owner? Aha, uh-huh, maybe. That's a good conversation to have because if the answer is yes, someone else could be the, that. Well, then there you go. Now you have, now you do have a slot open, okay. And it might be a stretch. Like, well, we didn't think so-and-so could be, but you know what? They are asking for more. They, you know, we kind of believe in them. We want to give it a try and say, all right, see, now now we're having a intelligent decision to do that, you know, <laughs> like on purpose. Or you could say, look, we said we were going to do Scrum, but we also just said no one has time to do Scrum. There's ceremonies, <laughs> there's Scrum. We just said, yeah. that's what you just said, that we don't have time. So we can't use Scrum. That, that's another choice. Another choice is to say Scrum is the wrong thing. Um, let's not do all that. Um, instead we'll do like half, not even full Kanban, just like sort of Kanban, <laughs> like, like the weakest, shittiest Trello-ish Kanban. And that'll have to be good enough because we just don't have time to do anything else or not even that. You know what? We're just going to do work and we're just going to like try to make it happen and see. And like, there's only three of us. We don't really need more than a freaking to-do list. And maybe that's correct. Maybe that's correct. So there's like, there's always possibilities of, of like, or, or yet another possibility is, oh, now the powers that be agree, we do need to hire someone because they can see that you're full and they, they really want to do these other things, but like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so there's the case to me. Okay, fine. But then you could also talk about who to hire because you could say, look, I don't even like one of these three things I'm doing. 
So if we could, so I would rather do this other thing. So if I, if I could do this other thing, we could hire someone to do the thing I don't like, plus the other two things, you know, right? And that, now you're building this new hire so that you're better in your spot of skill and joy and need. And we're, and we're defining that for the new person, hopefully, you know, so that, it, right? This is great. So obviously, I, I know that in practice, it's not always as easy as what I'm saying. Of course, I understand that. But <laughs> if you try yes, to have humans. these conversations without the document, it's really, really hard because people aren't even on the same page and, and don't understand the picture. So, so I know that, but this gives you the best chance at having these kind of intelligent conversations about capacity. Are you a self-taught product manager? Do you feel like there's gaps in your skills holding you back? Are you comfortable teaching others how you do product management? The fact is no one learns product management in school. You have to learn by cobbling together resources, reading books and blog posts, seeking out mentors, and learning on the job through trial and error. I've been there. I was a self-taught PM too, and I was lucky to learn from some of the best product minds in Silicon Valley. Now I wanna teach you everything I've learned. To do that, I've written blog posts, shared knowledge on these podcasts with great guests, and now I'm doing a limited number of coaching and consulting engagements. If you're looking to level up as a product leader and want to tune up you and your product team skills, then go to becustomerdriven.com and sign up for a free call to discuss your needs and how I may be able to help you. Again, go to becustomerdriven.com. So kind of building on that, like if a, a product leader or an executive wants to kind of talk, not just to PMs about this, but also the engineering design teams to get them on board, like how would you th- how would you think about encouraging them to kind of set the table at more of a meta level where they're trying, you know, it's not just get a product manager to think about it, but like the, the, the whole teams to start to have those discussions. Like maybe you're trying to have a group, like a whole group or department of, of, of product product organization or product pods or product teams, however you want to call it, like getting them to kind of get on board and have the conversation, especially when, like you said, like if there's too many things for one person to do, you have to start thinking about, is there someone else in the org that, that, or the team that could do it, or we need to hire somebody to do that. Like how, how would you recommend introducing that conversation to, you know, especially your peers, which may be the design and engineering team who are probably most affected by any, any changes you'd make to kind of that list of what somebody's doing? I mean, I would just tell them. I mean, I think it's as as simple as like, and again, it's nice to have the doc because then they can look at it and there's something, you know, they can see that it's thoughtful. Because again, like, what's the difference between just having me saying like, I can't do all this, so I'm not doing X anymore. Everyone's like, um, okay, right? As opposed to, you know, I really thought about what I have time for and what's most important. And I have this, and by the way, let's talk about it some. Like, did I get it right? You know, maybe I didn't. Like, is this people feel really strongly about one of these things we're saying no to? And let's discuss it. Because even if they do feel strongly and discuss it, they may then come to realize, ah, I do feel really strongly, but I get it now. So even though you're still saying no to my thing and I didn't win the argument, I, I know you heard me. You understand that I want it. You probably even agree with my general sentiment about it, but that these other things are even more important or at least at least you thoughtfully came to that conclusion. You didn't just dismiss me or ignore my needs or my desires. And you thought, you thought about it. So you know what, that, that makes me feel better. I mean, that's not literally what people think, but it, it, it does help. So I, I know it's, I'm like beating this stupid document. It's really just that you're showing that you're being thoughtful. And then that allows you to other people to see that too. And 
have like the right level of discussion. Like instead of, well, we'll just do more stuff. Like instead of that discussion, of, oh, I see. And so it's just, it's just a better, higher quality discussion. But with engineers, designers, et cetera, you just do it. I mean, just, I, I would just say, hey, I'm, I'm over capacity. I have a, a draft of what I think would be right for us for me to do. And I want everyone to come together and like hear your feedback. Of course, you set it out, send it out ahead of time so they can have a, a think first so that when you get together, it's not the first time they've seen it. And then you can just launch right into like, what do people think? And let's discuss. And then that's, that's a good use of meeting time with the idea being by the end of this meeting, we're going to actually like say, okay, we agree. Even if we're, you know, even if we don't agree with everything, doc, like we accept, I guess <laughs> we're going to say, okay, I accept unless there truly is like a something that does need more attention, but then you will have identified it. And that will be the next step is to solve that thing, whatever it is. And, and then, you know, which is also great. So, so I guess it sounds like maybe the most actual thing people can get out of, out of listening to this is thinking about maybe if they're in this kind of bind where they're spread too thin is making this document. So thinking about what goes into it at a high level, it should be, I guess, everything that the person is doing kind of grouped by themes or tasks. So it's not necessarily do this for project X. It's like, I do this thing for, for most of our projects. And then you're trying to rank those in order of what you think is the priority and importance. So I really need to do this. I don't think this is important. So I'm probably going to stop doing it. Is there anything else they need to make sure they do? If someone's actually thinking about, hey, I'm going to go make one of these docs and try and have this conversation. What are their questions or what are the most important questions they should make sure the document answers before they do start sharing it around and trying to have a meeting to talk about it? Again, this is like general advice, but it works for this is, is that a lot of people will do is, is, is do an audit of their calendar and perhaps an audit of their inbox. So you look at all your email for a week. That's probably a lot. That's kind of the point. That is a lot. Like the first thing you can start with is, holy shit, I get 1200 emails a week. Like if it takes me even 10 seconds, look at each one, dot, 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 you know, like all that. And so like you inventory the communication, like email, maybe Slack, whatever you inventory the calendar, which again, you just look at all the events and you know, there's, uh, I'm sure there's lots of articles online about this. But again, simple, 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 like just how many one-on-ones, how many, you know, how much scrum time, how much time do I spend writing stories? You know, just very high level, whatever. But having done that, I mean, you probably need that for yourself anyway, because there might be some uh, things you can do anyway. Like, oh, you know, I just, I, I get like, like 10% of my email comes from this project I used to be on and they, they kind of still drag me in and want me to do it. I just need to tell them no and get off of all those lists. And they know how to find me if it's an emergency or if it's really important. So I got to get off of the, you know, the usual treadmill of those things. Finally, and, you know, the, for example, oh my gosh, like uh, I was doing one-on-ones with people who report to me, but also my peers, but also this other and da, 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 and like, holy crap, I'm spending literally a quarter of my time in one-on-ones and one-on-ones are important, but I just can't spend a quarter of my time in them. So you know, all of these, I'm going to go down to once a month instead of one a week, or I don't know, whatever, right? So an audit of your calendar and, and email is useful. You'll probably find something to do there anyway. That, that's not something you have to share. It's just, you know, that's helpful. So, but also there may be stuff in there that feeds this document that could be like, oh my God, you know, I didn't realize I spent, you know, whatever. Or, or like, you know, I, I spend four hours a week talking to customers, but I spend another 10 hours a week managing finding customers to talk to and scheduling and talking to the UX designer first, you know, <laughs> and then, and then processing it afterwards, you know? And so, wow, I literally spent a third of my life with the customer interviews, like just doing the interviews and the stuff that's required around it. So 
wow, I didn't realize it was that much. So I can only do three things that big, and that's one of them. Wow. Like, so this not only goes on my list, but it goes on my list with like a little indication, like this is 30, this is 35% of my life right now. So like if I'm capacity planning, like, and if I'm writing stories in Scrum, that's easily half your time if you're doing stories well. So right there, if I'm doing those two things, it's probably between like regular meetings and one-on-ones, I'm probably finished already. But you can (laughs) see that in the calendar, right? And then then when you put that in the doc, like, oh shit, you're like, what? You know, you spend that much time like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh man, and maybe they develop some empathy for what you do and how much time it takes. So they don't know because they're not looking over your shoulder. That's fine. But like now they maybe develop some empathy. So now when they're like, we'll put another thing in, it's like, look, this is already more than 40 hours a week. And uh, what is it you're wanting to add in there? Like we redo the whole strategy while that, you know, like what? You know, <laughs> I don't think so. You know, and, and, uh, and it, we're, we're like, oh man, I didn't realize the, I don't know, the scrum ceremonies were taking up that much time. Maybe we should, you know, cut some of those things down. And you're like, mm, yeah, that's another solution is, is cut down the, some of those things. That's, that is possible, right? So it, yeah, it might, it might lend itself to some solutions too. But like, yeah, so a basic audit, like again, not complicated. A simple audit of just like major buckets of shit could probably be illuminating. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's great advice. I think this gives people a lot uh, better perspective on how they can maybe reevaluate kind of where they're at and think think about it. Other than like probably going over with this on the people on your team, like a designer who maybe you partner with in a lot of your projects, and then the you know the engineering team you're with. Who else would maybe you want to shop this with and like talk with us about? Other than maybe your manager as well. Is there anyone else who probably needs to be a part of the discussion if you are trying to reform your your ways and all the things you're spread across? I don't think so. I think, in fact, it's ultimately it should be your decision, and then with your manager, I guess. Period. And then the rest of this is like getting feedback, making sure everyone understands, making sure other people are heard if they're peers who need to be at least heard. You know, I don't. Yeah, I mean, certainly no one else should be involved in deciding. Hey, Jason, this was awesome. I want to thank you for for a great conversation here, kind of building on your post. We'll make sure to link to that so everybody knows to check that out to go with it. Where can people find you? Where's the best place they should check out? Yeah, like you said at the top, uh, a smart bear on Twitter, and the longform.asmartbear.com is the is the articles like you said, and also that sl- site has no ads and no tracking, so don't worry about it. I just pretend like tons and tons of people read it, and then I'm super popular. It's a lot, lot easier than looking at graphs, so don't worry. It's all safe and happy and easy to take, and there's printable PDF, so it's easy to steal it whatever you'd like to do. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was a great post. There's actually a lot of really good discussion in Lenny's Slack group about it too, because it, it definitely resonated with a lot of people. So I appreciate you hopping on the uh, podcast here to talk about it. And I uh, will talk to everybody later. Thanks.